On today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, we have author Kelly Dole, who also has a PhD in population health. He wrote the book, Feel Like It, Make Over Your Motivation to Move and Live Happily Ever Active. That's right. For those of you out there who have been struggling to stick to your fitness goals, your weight loss goals, or your weight gain goals, whatever your goals are uh, in terms of fitness and exercise and and just being overall active, and, and even your nutrition goals, uh, Kelly has done the research for you, and he's figured out the main thing that will motivate you to not only get off the couch and get moving, but to keep you moving, to help you stick with it. And here's a hint. It's not setting goals. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not about willpower or setting goals. It's something else that uh, I, I've I've mentioned in bits and pieces in, pop, in past episodes, but he really brings it all together here in, in his really amazing uh, episode. He's up there in Ottawa. But we also covered two other things. We also talk about the two things that helped him with his relationship with depression, the two things that has helped him cope with depression. So for those of you out there who are struggling with depression or mental health, uh, he talks about his battle uh, with depression and he doesn't even call it about, he calls it a relationship with his depression, which I think is a beautiful way to frame it. And he shares the two things that has helped him cope. And we even talk about, drum roll, how to find the one you love. Oh, I, I know, I know you've, you've probably seen a million uh, articles and BuzzFeeds and YouTube, but we really break it down uh, in this episode. So you want to listen to the entire thing. I want to apologize in advance for the sound cuts in and out. He's in Ottawa. He's really far away. I'm in San Diego. There's a lot of traveling, but stick with the episode. Listen to it. There's so much, there's so many valuable nuggets in this episode that you want to listen to it from beginning to end. I just want to apologize in advance for the, the internet uh, connection cutting in and out. Uh, due to the distance, and uh, and let's get into the episode. Oh, and of course, if you have not already, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly, because we can get to tomorrow together. And with that said, let's get into the episode. Well, I'm excited to have you on, Kelly Dole. Uh, and now, is it Dole or Dual? It's Dell, actually. Dell. Whoa! Yeah. I know, man. I, uh, I've, I've, I've actually built it into my podcast intro. I say I'm the guy with the silent O because uh, there's only been one or two people in the history of my time on Earth who have uh, got it right the first time. So I'm, I'm sort of uh, inclined to always uh, uh, correct people. But yeah, it's Dell. It's the silent O. Well, Kelly Dell, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, you, you've written this book, Feel Like It. Make over your motivation to move and live happily ever active. Uh, now, what compelled you to write the book? During my doctoral studies, I had this uh, just a terrific opportunity to um, apply some of the research I was conducting in uh, a field setting. So uh, I eventually moved to, uh, to uh, Colorado and uh, during my time in Colorado, I was able to 
uh, essentially, I actually apply some of the, the the concepts, the models that I was exploring in my research into in a gym setting. Setting. So, in essence, what I was uh, basically tasked to do is to help improve retention or member loyalty or or adherence to exercise. Because with the time at the time, so let's put some dates to this. At the time, it was actually the last big economic crash. So, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, in that during that time, and so. As you know, the gym industry is facing right now. Now, uh, again, yes, current to the current situation here. Um, these the gyms were struggling, and they're trying to find ways to uh, steady the ship and not, not bleed members and lose business. Now, back then there was no shutdown, kind of like we're facing now. So it was sort of business as usual, but people were making economic decisions and they were uh, leaving their uh, memberships to the side or at least pausing them. And that was hurting a lot of gyms. And so I was uh, tasked to kind of strengthen loyalty to help people commit and prioritize fitness and and, and to stick around, essentially. And um, while I was there, so how does that connect to the book? While While I was there, I had a you know, a few encounters with members, and part of my uh, my my initiative down there was to interview the, the the members, the new members, and really understand what was the source of their motivation, uh, particularly the people who were the most most loyal, who had had been loyal to exercise over not just uh, you know a few months, but years and even decades. And so I had this great; it was kind of a great lab for me to interview people who are struggling, struggling, who wanted to be active. But we're still struggling to figure it out. And then people who were committed, committed and loyal and devoted. And while I was there, I had these great conversations. And a few kind, a few moments uh, came out came out of that that I thought there's something that people aren't really talking about. And when you take that experience with some other personal experiences I had, plus you know my background in performance psychology, and then my 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 at the time my studies, my doctoral studies in population health. It just all combined said, you know what, if if no one's really talking about it, why not me? Now, what were the findings? Because because there, there's uh, I feel like there's three types of people when we talk about commitment to, to health and especially like exercise uh, and adherence. There are people who that is, they're just they they just always work out. They're consistent. They're five to seven days a week. It's just in their DNA. Uh, it's, it's unquestionable. Uh, what they're going to do. And then you have the people who are on for three months, off for three months, on for six months. You got the intermittent uh, people who work out. And then you have the people who are just never work out, period. And they only work out like once a year if a friend uh, is like, hey, come take a class with me or something like that. Um, uh, but they're, you know, they otherwise they don't step in the gym. What's the difference between the person who's intermittent and the person who is every day? Well, there's like, you know, going back to what I said before, I mean, the, the uh, regularity with which we exercise is not, is a complex issue. I think we have this tendency and it's not just in trying to solve this idea of, of inactivity, but we have this tendency to find the simple solutions and in so doing, we over, oversimplify to the point where the solutions that we propose often only work with a, a small group of people. And so when it came to my experiences uh, in Colorado, Colorado at the time, uh, one of the things I 
think, you know, so what is the, what was the main finding that came out of it? Well, I'll, I'll kind of boil it down to, it's a tale of two questions. This is what I often tell people when people show up to the gym and let's say they're just about to join the gym and it doesn't necessarily have to be the gym. Let's say, you know, one of your listeners out there, if you guys are thinking about getting active, you haven't been active for a while, we usually lead with a question. And that question is, what's my goal? And what I found when I was interviewing member after member after member and new members, every single person walked through the door with a goal. And what was that saying? That was saying that the goal can't be the solution. It could be part of the solution, but it can't be the thing. And in fact, the more that I talk to the loyally active people, um, the more uh, that I understood that the people who are the most loyally active and devoted and built their life around it were really experiencing a certain set of feelings that they really enjoyed. And these feelings varied from person, like just like you and I, we would, we were, we're different people. We'd have different interests and we have different things that uh, are attractive to us and, and whatnot, different tastes. Uh, but at the heart of this is that a set of feelings or a feeling that really brings them back. And you can tell this uh, by just the range of things that people get into in fitness. There's so many options available and you, you name it, you, you know, you, uh, we talked about skiing earlier and, you know, skiing is not my thing, but it's a lot of people's thing. Uh, it's a really attractive, attracted to, is really attractive to a, a lot of people. And so getting back to the tale of two questions, we start with this question of what's your goal? When what I heard over and over and over again, it's, it's not that question that should be asked at the start of a journey. If devotion, if a long-standing relationship with fitness comes down to a feeling, it comes down to an experience, it comes down to um, an attraction to a, a particular way that the activity resonates with them and makes them feel, then, then the goal-setting question is never going to get out, get at that. The question we need to be asking, and what, of course, is that the main premise of my book is, is Instead of asking, what's my goal at the start of a fitness journey, how is it that you want it to feel? Because that distinguished a lot of people in, uh, in this field research. And if I could take it one step further, what ended up happening out of that experience, which again, uh, it, it was the catalyst for even considering writing a book on it, is that I took that question, how is it that you want your fitness experience to feel at this particular gym? I started very locally to that gym. I started asking that question and, and trying to build uh, an exercise program. And program sounds really structured and wasn't as structured as that. But we built a strategy around the feelings that people were seeking, which meant re the, the, uh, the individuals, the new members, would start doing things that they might not have ever done before because they wouldn't have considered them because they were potentially distracted chasing a goal and not focusing on how it is they want to feel. And so the goal setting question, and so in my work, the goal setting question often became a distraction from what was the most important thing, commitment, which is that resonance with the activity. And there's certain layers. Of, I say it's a complex issue. There's certain things that come up you know, and you have to account for too. But at the core of it, without understanding how you want exercise to feel, and sec secondarily, how to make exercise feel feel the way you want it to. That's a skill involved. There's a skill involved. Without having that aspect covered, it becomes very hard to find things that really are worth committing to. 
discipline and willpower can only go so far before that candle fizzles out, right? That candle burns out. You have to keep on pumping your tires over and over and over again. Eventually, we get tired of doing that. So even, and I always make this argument, you give me the person who says they're the most disciplined, they have the most willpower, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why they keep on uh, plugging away at their routine. And like you say, they're five, six, seven days a week. There might be discipline, sure. And there might be the, uh, the application of willpower, absolutely. But at the core, there's something a little bit more powerful, something that's sparking them enough to never lose sight of what they're doing. And it's usually, usually some sort of love, right? at bare minimum, a liking of what what they're doing, a liking of their fitness choices, or they like how they they perform those fitness choice choices, or add another layer, they like the atmosphere in which they do it. They like the camaraderie of the gym. They like the teams that they play, the, you know, uh, basketball on, or they love the the guy seeing the guys or the gals playing pickup basketball. There's something intrinsically attractive to it that's keeps on bringing them back. Apart from this idea of being disciplined and you know, you know, using willpower uh, all the time. Well, that seems to be the allure to CrossFit, right? Like people talk about the culture, the camaraderie, the the feeling of uh, community, uh, all those things. You know, not just the the picking up of things and throwing it down. It, it's yeah, the yeah. the high fives and the and the timer and the and the chalk and the you know the, the there's just there's so many elements to it that uh, uh, that is just attractive to so many people that that draw them in and same thing with Soul Cycle it's like you're in a class and people like talking about their fitness instructor and the music uh, you know it's just all these different elements so yeah to to think about atmospheres is is so true. And, you know, here's my question. I, I know you didn't, uh, you know, really cover this, but it, but it's part of it. I, I, I wonder if it would be the same thing in a relationship, meaning so many people are, I was, we were watching a video the other day and, you know, people were talking about looking for the one and trying to find the one and how do I know if it's the one. And, and I wonder if instead of looking for the one, you're looking for the feeling, the person who brings out a certain feeling in you that makes you feel attractive or that lights you up. And, and I, I wonder how much of that is, is synonymous with uh, or correlates with um, the length of a relationship. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, that's the, that's the uh, main metaphor I use in the book is that, uh, often we look at fitness as a series of chasing outcomes, trying to, uh, you know, our body's a project, right? We're always trying to shape it. We're trying to improve, improve it. Uh, and I'll throw in there, we're trying to make it healthier, right? These are all projects. But at the heart of, uh, you know, sustaining physical activity in our lives, it comes down to the strength of your relationship with the activities that you choose. And I love, you know, that segue that you talked about, you know, in, in terms of love. And I had uh, one person in my interview, and I alluded to them briefly in the book. I had one person I interviewed. Um, it wasn't as a part of this field research that I, I mentioned. It was my ongoing research who essentially told me that, you know, I didn't choose. It was uh, obstacle course racing. I didn't really choose obstacle course racing. It chose me. And so there's less of a, you know, for her, it was less of a cognitive 
of uh, intellectual exercise than it was a matter of the heart. And and I think the parallels are there for not just in fitness, not just in relationships, but we often get, uh, you know, we, we, we uh, make a lot of our living uh, intellectual and, and often too rational at the expense of listening to these resonances that we, we, that are available to us, that are telling us something about who we are and what almost, you know, to take it a little bit more philosophical, but what we're meant to be doing. And in fitness, as is in love, I'd, I'd argue that if you're open, you know, love kind of finds you when you're open to it. <laughs> it's really hard to find when you're actively searching for it madly. And, uh, and so that, that, uh, uh that metaphor is absolutely applicable in, in fitness and our health. And so I've heard that over and over again is, is the words that I love it. I like it. Uh, these are all things that, of course, are feelings that we, we want in a lot of areas in our lives. In fact, we, we find them and we, we find them through our hobbies as well. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the entertainment that we seek out, uh, there, there's, there's room for this analogy everywhere. And, I found it pretty intriguing that 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 relationship analogy really fit well with uh, with fitness too. So I bang on. I think you're exactly right that the the love analogy really fits here. In fact, I talk about it quite a bit. It's one of my favorite <laughs> topics. Is if, like for most people, like if you ask them, and I do this a lot when I when I give my talks, I, I often lead with the question like, "How would you describe your relationship with fitness?" And mo- most people will say, you know, it's a complicated one. Um, but you have people who are going through a divorce. Uh, you've got people who are, uh, you know, they're they're uh, they've taken themselves out of the game entirely. They're disillusioned by by the whole by the whole thing, the whole uh, the fitness game, if you will. And then you have the people who are loyally married to physical activity, and they might even be uh, monogamous with one thing, like CrossFit. You gave the example, you know, that CrossFit they've built their life around their love for CrossFit. And so that relationship metaphor and the idea that, you know, fitness and exercise and our health is a, is a, is either one bigger relationship or a, a series of relationships added up together is a really fitting one to explain how p- people find and stick to a lot of these healthy, I think healthy behaviors. And of course, how people uh, find and fall in love uh, uh, and stay in love. With, the, with another human being, <laughs> of course. Kelly, how do you help, you know, we talk about, so it's not so much about chasing goals or chasing outcomes. It's about chasing a feeling or, or pursuing, uh, 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 you know, a, an emotion. How do we help people discover what feelings that they really are after? There's so many feelings and so many emotions in and I feel like uh, we kind of live in a society where we're told not to trust our feelings or our emotions and, and to think logically and rationally. And we say things like, that doesn't make sense. So how do, how do we help people who have been, uh, especially men, you know, we've been taught to stuff down and, and, and ignore our emotions. How do, how do we slowly start to peel back the layers and discover what it is we're really trying to feel? And that motivates us. Well, that's a great question. And I, I'll start with, you know, it's the auditing the questions that we 
ask ourselves, the auditing the conversation we have with ourselves. But also, you know, I talk about uh, this a lot, another uh, connection I try to make for people to just broaden horizons, open people's minds a little bit, is that a lot of the thoughts that we carry around, and you you, you already introduced a few, you know, like the whole suck it up, uh, you know, uh, you know, just stay disciplined and that's how you reach success. I mean, and that has um, a lot of cultural ties and it's a messages that have been, it's been around for a long time and, and men have been, been kind of trying to live by this rule or, or have been, and I would argue in a lot of cases, suffering by this rule for a very long time. And so we can't ignore the role of culture because our the culture that we swim in every day, and fitness has its own culture, and you can pick anyone. The culture that we swim in every day, the messages that we 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 see, the images that we see, uh, and the, the the you know what we hear and see and smell in the gym, every and you know bringing it back to fitness, all of those things, they influence our mindset. There's a set of beliefs. There's a set of thoughts that are kind of a part of these. These these cultures and those cultures and or sorry those beliefs those thoughts like you know no excuses we've all heard that one in fitness right no excuses perhaps the biggest one of them all no excuses um, those things those beliefs culture affecting our mindset which is a series of these beliefs actually affects how are the methods we take to get and stay active it affects our decision decisions and if we're if we are um, not not careful, if we're not aware, then we can, you know, be on autopilot, and we're just becomes this, you know, this this cultural drone uh, without a, 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 a strong identity about who we are, just by fulfilling what these cultural norms are. And so, to say that, you know, oh, to suck it up, it, it's a countercultural idea to kind of go against that and say, hey, listen, uh, that's that's actually unhealthy for me mentally. And if I'm not, I'm not mentally healthy, I'm not mentally uh, sharp or myself, then it's also a big barrier to me making better decisions about my health and wellness. If we don't give ourselves the opportunity to challenge some of, the, some of these things, then it's very hard to give ourselves permission to think differently, to take different approaches. So, you know, call it an audit. Where to, where to start? Call it an audit. Where are the things in your life that they don't feel like a fit? Where are, what are the questions that you're asking? That you're asking that just aren't working for you. You know, you know. I bring up the goal setting question a lot uh, as an example. Uh, how often have you been using goals as a way, or what is my goal? That question to try and guide you into another fitness journey, only for it to to lead at the same place, which is back where you started, right? And so we have to be able to audit that because essentially, when you when you look at you know how uh, how these things all connect, that culture affects our mindset towards the thing that we're interested fitness in this particular context and that mindset affects the methods we take so how what decisions we take some you know they take crossfit it's a very uh, tough uh gritty sort of uh, uh activity well that doesn't fit just everyone everyone but people try to force it and sometimes they injure themselves <laughs> but also they uh, they they feel pretty badly about themselves when they can't make them work make it work when they actually don't like it and they think they're the problem when essentially it's just that they're not necessarily guiding themselves by the right question to honor that feeling that this doesn't feel like a fit because um, ultimately 
you know, that mindset, that uh, the mindset that begets these methods, these choices, uh, uh, ultimately that affects your motivation. That, that's the chain. And the motivation is what's, what's really going to keep you going after things and getting you up in the morning. So, you know, where to start? I think the, the first place to start is to, to catch, you know, what your beliefs are, what questions you're asking yourself, yourself. And, you know, at the end of the day, is that or parts of that really work working for you? If it's not, then, and I think a lot of people listening, you know, can come to a quick determination, then, you know, use that self-awareness to think, well, what can I do next? Next, And so that's where I kind of, with my work, I say, well, if you can change, sometimes when you can change the question, you can, you can change the game and, you know, pulling it back to our health and fitness. That's why I pull people away from the goal setting question. Cause I think that's one of the biggest distractions we all face, uh, not just in fitness, but in, in a lot of places, we don't think about how we want life to feel or the thing we're doing to feel. And that gets us into these places where we feel lost or we feel stuck and we don't know how to get ourselves out of it once we get there. You know, I love that the, you know, auditing, because so, so many times we have this idea that to make a great change or, or to uh, go in the direction that we want, we always think about adding things when really uh, we may need to remove things like old belief systems mm. and, and values. So I love that idea of, of sitting down and, you know, we do the, we do a, uh, the, the IRS, you know, the financial audit mm. once a year with there. And, and we spend a month on that, on that kind of stuff. And we bring somebody else in to, to help us with that. And so I, 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 I'm really resonating with the value of, of, you know, okay, if you can't afford a therapist every, every, every week or every two weeks or whatever, just bring them in, you know, once a month or once a year and just, just help you do an audit of, of your beliefs and your values to help you get a little closer uh, to, to what motivates you and, and, and what excites you and lights you up to, to because that, it is a process and it is it's something that, you know, some people may connect to in, in a few days or, or weeks or months. And some people, it could take a couple years uh, uh, for, you know, whatever reason. So. Uh, don't be afraid to connect with somebody. You know, I'm talking to the listeners now. Don't be afraid to connect with somebody and bring somebody in. Uh, uh, you don't need a, a tax person. You need a, a feelings person or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but, but yeah, I, well resonate, put, well put, well put. I resonate with it because, uh, and I've said this on a previous episode, you know, my, my girlfriend now, we, we just started dating in October and, uh, before I met her, I, I had to, I, I did an audit and, and I, I did exactly what, what your book speaks to in that I was like, all right, these relationships aren't working out. I've been with some great women. I have nothing uh, bad to say about them. I'm, I'm friends with, with still most of them. And I was like, but what, what's, what's the missing piece here? And and then I, I realize it's like I'm, I'm, I'm chasing these external things. And really, um, I've been I've been I've been wanting uh, and needing a feeling uh, and I need to feel like there was growth in the relationship. Um, in, in the past, I've been with some great women, but I didn't feel like we were growing together. I felt like she was doing her thing. I was doing my thing. And then we did things together. But I didn't feel like we were growing together. And, and I was like, that's the feeling I want in my next relationship. I want to feel like there's growth, like there's partnership. 
that that we are that we are moving forward together and and I have that feeling now uh with my girlfriend so it, it definitely does translate from the gym into I mean we've only been together since October who knows if you know <laughs> she's sitting right next to me but 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 what a difference because because what happens is uh on the in the moments where uh it's it's challenging and, and obstacles and and things flare up in a relationship, I always remember the the foundation of it. And I go and and so I revert back to it. I ask myself, does this affect the growth of the relationship? And you know, if the answer is no, then I can let it go. And, and I think that's the importance of knowing and connecting to uh, a feeling versus something external that can come and go. And isn't it interesting? I mean, I, you know, I've gone through therapy as well as an individual. And what uh, I mean, I, my opinion from someone who is, uh, you know, been a participant in that um, is that one of the most profound things you do in therapy is an audit of relationships, but not just an audit of relationships. Like, you know, you get questions. They ask, what is your relationship? What, what's your relationship like with significant other, or with your parents and your, your, um, your siblings and stuff. There's, there's an audit of, of those things because they reveal a lot of information, but it's also one of the very first, we talk about like your relationship with your parents and siblings. That's your very first culture that you're, you're stuck in. And so so there's a lot of things that come out of that. And that's why um, I think, you you know, you, you can relate to it from some of your work, too. It's like that's why this idea of culture and background is an important part of the conversation. And it's not just in fitness, but in a lot of other areas. And there can be a, 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 the, the way we see the world, the thoughts that we carry around, the beliefs that we are stuck on. And, and for a long time, we didn't even real, realize that they were there or that we were, they were at least uh, that they're um, – uh, uh, con- uh, controlling or maybe harming our, our lives in some ways. They, those things come from somewhere, and it comes from these cultural, early cultural, cultural experiences, family culture, and whatnot. And so that you know, I'm bringing that up because sometimes when um, you know, and again, I'm no expert on relationships. I'm not in the, not in the, the I'm not a counselor in that aspect. But it, it would make sense to me to to look at what we're exposed to as young men. And, and the culture that we are part of when we're learning about relationships or, or women or men or it doesn't matter. We're, and we're learning about those relationships early on and how, you know, how perhaps it set us up for a, a, a mindset towards love and whatnot that was uh, part of the, the problem for us, part of the, the, uh, the obstacle from us finding what really fit us. And so we end up, you know, like I think a lot of people do, uh, they, they, they um, you know, they're looking for love, and they, they and they they are influenced by these backgrounds, and they don't make the best best decisions, or they they think love is this, and it turns out being something like that later on. And everyone has their own path, but I think we're really heavily influenced by those early experiences. I know I certainly ha- uh, have been, and I'm sure some of your lish- listeners as well. And you know, going back to this idea of auditing, you know, part. Part of at least my experience with therapy was we did that. We performed an audit. We look back at all of these experiences and and wonder what ha- what has an experience ten years ago. Uh, how has that experience formed a belief that you might be having that might be harming your 
relationship with your current relationship or or it's not necessarily with your significant other but maybe it's full coming out in your relationship with your boss or something how are those experiences possibly doing that now again i'm not a counselor i'm not a therapist but that's from my experience that's one of the most fruitful uh exercises to be reflective in that way just to kind of see that programming that's going on that program that we've got running in our heads about and you know those beliefs that, that about relationships that are maybe not serving us the way that we would like them to serve or that we would hope them to serve you know uh, you bring up a good point about going back and looking at our childhood and seeing what kind of beliefs are formed because we, we do have uh these loops that run that we're not aware mm-hmm. of you know when we talk about I had somebody on who talked. Yeah. said self-talk is not what you tell yourself. It's what is always is something. It's something to the effect of it's what you've always been telling yourself. Like e- even when you're not intentionally mm. trying to talk to yourself, it's that loop that's constantly playing in the background. Uh, you know, in the morning, in the drive to work, uh, on the drive home. Uh, you know, when you're in the gym, leaving the gym, all those different things. Uh, I guess my question is, is it also beneficial to to be aware of and track feelings that you want to avoid? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I, I'm a big fan of that self-reflection, self-awareness. And, you know, there's kind of two two angles to take on this. But, you know, the idea of that voice that's always been there, but it's just in the background and you know, the self-talk and whatever, one of the biggest uh, um, epiphanies for me personally uh, was to come to the realization that, A, that voice exists there and it doesn't always have your best interest in mind, that it's not really your thoughts, you know, like it's it's your thoughts, you're hearing them, but if, if it really was you, really truly you, then who is the one listening to them? And And that kind of distinction that, oh, you know, we can create some separation between these negative thoughts and who you kind of truly are. And there's a peacefulness and a stillness that I experienced through that. And so being able to recognize, A, that that distinction can be made, but but then, okay, what is it that I'm hearing? Or I've been kind of hearing forever. Or so it's, it's been so chronic that I don't really realize it's there, but it is affecting me. And so, yeah, you know, I know you're a fan of journaling. I know that's a big tool. Uh, for that for a lot of people, great exercise to record it. And some of my clients, um, I will, rec- will recommend that right away to integrate the idea of just I, I, I catching and identifying the you know uh, uh, instances of the program that's running, the, the thoughts that keep coming up, these loops as you call them. It's a great description. These loops, these loops that they, that, that are coming, and and maybe they, they, they met through meditation, they they uh, can become a, a more aware of these things and start recording them, but. Part of those things is, is to recognize also the, the, you know, how these thoughts make you feel, the connection from the, the idea, the kind of the intellectual part, the, the cognitive part to how they make you feel. And, um, and so being aware, absolutely being aware of, of the thing, things that, um, that you think that, and, and that the feelings associated with them is, is an extremely useful exercise. And I always find uh, too, and the second part of throw into the mix too. And, and, you know, going back to how we started the conversation about the questions really matter, the questions that we ask ourselves. And sometimes they can be, I, I honestly think the right question at the right time can be life changing. And, and, and I know through, through 
through uh, through personal experience with therapy and the clients I work with who are trying to be more active and, and they feel kind of stuck and they think they need more help on the mental side of things. Uh, when we take that side of things, people are very quick to describe how they don't want to want to feel or the feelings that they have that they don't want. And so it it works so nicely in to think, to think I, I know the thoughts that I'm having, here are the thoughts that I'm having that I've been carrying around and they're you know, you know, it's called my often call them. For me, there's some toxic thoughts that I keep returning to. I'm now finally aware of them. Here's how, here's how they're making, how it's making me feel and affecting even some of my behaviors. But the second question is almost like the, the, the other piece of the puzzle is, okay, with all that said, how do I want my life to feel, the rest of my life to feel? It's not just, you know, going into therapy. <laughs> it's, I always laugh because, you know, so easy to sit and talk for 45 minutes about all the things that are bugging me and complaining about. And, you know, those things are things are important and that are to get, to get things off my chest and to, you know, as, even if it's just a release valve of stress and all the rest, but I, I've uh, always found it um, personally and then profession, professionally is to also ask like, okay, well now where to, how that's an important exercise, but how do you want tomorrow to feel? And what are you going to do to try and make that happen? How are you going to make, you know, fitness a part of that? And, and how are we going to look at, look at, uh, exercises are playing an important role with how you want your life to feel. And, and to put all these things together in a pot, to me, uh, is, a, is, a very whole, is a much more holistic uh, piece of this development, self-development, is to not forget about that type of question as well. And uh, so that's how I kind of see all these things. And I, I know you've got some great tools and you've probably talked to them in detail in, in some of your past episodes. And they, they're great there there's some things available to us that are they're that are great to catch our to catch these thoughts to catch these feelings and to make sense of them and just casting light on them in itself is one of the biggest steps of all in this whole process because without taking that first step we keep staying stuck in the program the the thoughts and the beliefs that uh, are not serving us that are kind of holding us back and and, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, making us unhealthy without an obvious exit. You, you talk about so many different ways to track and, and capture, you know, we discussed journaling, which I'm a huge fan of, but uh, it, I, I love writing. And I understand that uh, for a lot of people, writing is not, um, they don't like it. They don't love it. They don't, you know, they're not big readers. <laughs> they, they're more visual or, or maybe uh, they struggle with dyslexia. What are some other ways we can capture those beliefs and ideas and thoughts? Well, I mean, then there are various degrees of, of even the writing, right? Just making notes versus writing an essay. I know people will journal and, and, and they'll do, you know, for all intents and purposes, they do like it. And there's a, there's a therapy in the process of creation, right? So that's the writing side. But just taking notes in general, is uh, important, but I would say honestly, it's. I mean, you brought it up early in the show, and I know uh, you, this is a strong message for your for your listeners that you've been, um, you know, sharing for a long time. But it it really is having an outlet, a neutral outlet to talk to um, a therapist, counselor, um, and you know what? I know those things sometimes have costs that are are prohibitive and stuff. But somebody, even someone in your life that you can. Um, you know, like I say, just if you look at it as a release valve to be able to get things off your chest and process some other way to process. If it's not written, you can do it uh, verbally for uh, that way. Another way is, you know, journalists, people are uh, think about journals as uh, something that you write. And you can also record audio files and, 
and have a conversation with yourself and process things, which, you know, for a lot of people, it seems way less daunting than, than you know, a, a, a diary under your bed or, uh, you know, files on your computer, like as if you're, you're, you're writing up a report for, for your high school English class or something or something. So there's a, a various, there's a variety of ways to do it. However, whatever way feels right or feels like something that you could do in a, at least a semi-sustainable way, that's the way you should do it, however that looks. And so, you know, I know there's some some barriers some that are, can be is cost prohibitive, some of these things, but they don't have to be. There's a range of these things. So there's there's a lot. And if there's, if, if those options kind of like, eh, well, you know, hit Google up, Look for some creative ways, and there'll be bound. There's a lot of creative people who have found different ways because they, like you, uh, the listener out there, might not uh, think, "Oh, journaling. I don't really want to do that. It feels like homework." And oh, even the audio thing makes me feel weird talking into whatever. There's other ways also out there too. So, um, but yes, there's there's a lot of other options to do it. So if you look at the different medium uh, mediums available to us, you know, one of them is probably a better fit than others. There's one that seems more attractive than others. And that's the one you should at least take and, and, and give it a go and work your way from there and then, and then keep trying stuff if that isn't a fit. You know, there, there's so many different feelings. Have you found that there's some feelings that uh, have that motivate better than other feelings? You know, I've got this, uh, you know, part of my research, I started asking this question, uh, you know, as part of the, this intervention way back. You know, we talked about the start of the, start of the, the, the interview and, and, and that was, I was asking people how they want their fitness to feel, how they want, you know, exercise to feel. And it's a very difficult question to answer. And so I, I came across that resistance, not necessarily uh, 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 intentional resistance, just that barrier that people didn't people struggle with that question and what i did and i'm gonna get to your (laughs) to your question but what i did is i asked the people the most loyally active people i knew and the people that who i was encountering i asked them what it is what it is about the thing that they they really like that really brings them back and they talked about these feelings and they use certain language you know like feeling peaceful uh adventurous and this uh, this language bubbled up to the surface. The more people I interviewed, the more follow-up questions I asked, this language bubbled up, and it became clear that there are these themes. And I talk about them in the book, and there's 14 of them. Uh, and, and people ask me all the time, well, which one of the 14 is the most popular? Which is the one that you hear the most of? And well, it's not for everybody, but I will say one of the strongest um, feelings uh, what what attracts people the most, and you brought it up a little bit through your CrossFit example. What brings what what gets people out the most is the social element. That if there's a social feeling to exercise, that to some degree it almost doesn't matter. For some people, it doesn't even matter what the thing it is that you're doing, as long as there's connection, as as long as there is support, as long as there is camaraderie and you know in a few laps along the way depending on the context of course that is the 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 draw for people it's so powerful and you know again from personal experiences i'm really connected to to free community fitness outdoor community fitness in ottawa and these are groups are you know we don't we don't work out in out in gyms we work out in parks we work in out in um uh you know on the steps of parliament hill here in ottawa in the capital and we we work out in the stadium here our, our football stadium and and, you know, there's no equipment, 
equipment, we use bodyweight stuff, we, we get creative, but it's super, super social. The, the, the group particularly that I'm um, most fond of is November Project, which also has chapters in LA and, and several in other places in California. And, and the, the main uh, component of this, and yeah, there's a workout, you're working hard, you're doing healthy things, you're getting stronger muscles, you're building, building endurance, all that stuff. But if you look at the group, there's a wide range of let's say physical ability and capacity, there's a wide range. But the but the one thing that connect, con- connects everyone is this social component. People are there to connect with their community. Some people they might not even know from week to week, but but they connect with them. They make new friends. It pulls them out of their routine. It's a bit goofy at times, but you have this uh, this really this this beautiful uh, pot of people that are connecting in this unique way. And so the the number one feeling through fitness is it, that I hear most often is the social component. I'm doing it. My motivation is social. And if that's your, your, your motive, if that seems like that's your kind of thing, to some degree, it's almost like you could almost do anything that has a social component. CrossFit is a strong camaraderie, a lot of team based activities. They promote these things and it's, uh, you know, and, and it's that, that's shows some, the, the signs of, successful movements um, that, that are going out there. And some of them, again, you don't have to pay a dime for, but successful things because they build a community. But it's not like, oh, you know, we're just going to use the word of a community, a buzz phrase, a corporate word. It's something that people can feel because the people involved, the leaders involved, um, they, they take certain actions to, to facilitate that, to make people feel like they, be- they belong and it doesn't matter what your ability is. It doesn't matter what your story is. You belong here with us. And that's a powerful thing. And, you know, in terms of mental health, to fold that, that into, it's a super powerful thing because we know, I mean, I know you'll be well uh, versed in, in the research too. And, and But, you know, you know, social isolation is one of the most harmful things. Um, and, you know, we're getting a time right now where it's going to be at, be at the uh, forefront of a lot of concerns for a lot of people of being hemmed into their homes homes and not being able to interact positively or see their friends in person or go to the gym, go to CrossFit. Like this is good. And it's going to be a while, um, depending on what parts of the parts of the country you're in, it's going to be a while. So this has an effect and you're going to see how, you know, the withdrawal, <laughs> what it's going to be like for, for these people as the weeks and weeks go on, the withdrawal from that and how uh, mentally important it is because it, it, it gets really hard. It gets to be a grind. And so the social element of fitness is a feeling that really um, drives the motivation for so many people. That's the most popular one. Uh, but again, there's 14 others. And so there, you can actually, when I, when I go through this exercise of asking the question, you know, how is it you want, uh, you know, your fitness to feel? If that's really going to be the main driver, the main source of commit, commitment and devotion over not just the next couple of weeks, but months and years and et cetera. Um, when I ask that question, I don't expect people to come up with an answer immediately. It's a tough, tough question to answer anybody in, in any context. And so when I heard more of the stories about people like describing what it is that they loved about exercise, and I tick that and kind of come up with this little tool uh, this with 14 feelings and I can put words to it. And it's like, Oh, you know, this is me. These one, two or three things. These are my, that's so me like, well, how, how many activities do you do? Or what if, you know, if you look at your history, are you doing things that fit those feelings? 
And you won't be surprised, of course, they're going like, well, not really a whole lot. Well, maybe that's part <laughs> that's part of the the trick here is to find a fit based on feel. I love that. Find a fit based on feel. Is that going to be the title of your next book? <laughs> that's a great book title. Well, I have a little. Uh, I know I have a little project. Um, you know, it's called Fit by Feel. It's sort of a, a thing I'm working on now as I as I move forward here and. Yeah, the language is really fun, but yeah, finding your fit by feel, that's a, uh, that's a, I mean, essentially when you boil it down, that's what it is. It's like, you, you know, how do you find that fit? You can't really find it with a goal uh, unless you get lucky. And luck isn't a good enough strategy when it comes to this stuff. This stuff is important. I mean, it's important phys- for physical health, but also, I mean, I talk about, as we have been here, I talk about mental health a lot. This is sort of a, a personal value and it's a, personal passion to to share my perspectives on it too but like you know these decisions that we make with our fitness uh the the things that we bring into our life or we attempt to bring in our life have can have profound effects on our mental health and and like life-changing life-changing effects to find something that works to find a community even even if it's just two or three people of like-minded people it doesn't have to be 100 people in a workout where you're you know working out at the park but just a small group of people that fit, that are un, that you feel at home with, that you feel that they don't, you feel like you're not judged. These things have remarkable effects on people. They break that whatever cycle of isolation that you might have, be having in your life, or feeling distance from the world, whatever. At least you have this a few times a week to look forward to, and this is a. It's a, a, you know, that's the power of fitness. The power of fitness is not to, I don't see it anymore. I mean, I'm 43. So, you know, the, I'm looking down at my abs and, you know, I'm not, they're not, they're not showing up anytime soon. So the power of fitness to me is not getting the chiseled abs. It's actually finding who you are and reaping the wards mentally uh, as well as, you know, some of these, these great physical effects. And sometimes we forget that. And, and, you know, the fit, today's fitness culture, bringing culture back into it, sometimes the culture is biased towards some of these other things. And people think that's what fitness is about. And I, I will argue that, you know, it can be and it could be a little bit, but don't forget about this other facet. You know, so true. I mean, that's one of the things I love about traveling is that you you see people throughout the world living to be very old and uh, very active and present and cognizant and, and happy and engaged in life. And they don't fit the, the, the model, the magazine model of, of what uh, <laughs> physical health looks like, of what, of what this is, you know, they, they paint it like if you look like this physically, then this is the life you'll have. And you'll, and you'll, have, you'll be smiling and your teeth will be all lined up and, and perfectly uh, in a row and, and you'll, you'll jump on beaches, you know, like it's, but you know, I've been to so many places where I, I, I've met people who are like, uh, you know, 50, 60 pounds overweight and happy and, and, and 80 and eight and 90 and still running around doing things. And, you know, it's, it, it's just, it, it's a, when you look at the people instead of the numbers, and and you look at the cultures and and you 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 it gives you a, a real life perspective on what it takes to be happy, healthy, and fit. 
Um, Absolutely. And, and one of the, the best, uh, kind of, uh, experiences I've had, one of my favorite experience was, you know, I talked about the relationships before Oh, your widow or sorry, you're, you're, you're married, you're, um, you know, divorced. What's the status? And I came across this guy who showed me, well, you can also be widowed from, from fitness. And that really exposed something to me because this fella who was a, um, and there's a story in my book, his name is Peter. And he actually, it was a big outdoor enthusiast and adventurist, if you will. And he got into, uh, skydiving and base jumping. And one day he got into a, you know, it's one of the fittest guys by any measure. And, and one day he went on, or one day, uh, he went on a, um, a base jumping excursion to Norway and he jumped off a cliff on the edge of a fjord and his chute didn't open or it opened awkwardly. And he slammed into the side of the, the, uh, <clears throat> of the canyon. And he fell unconscious all the way down and he lost the ability to speak, couldn't walk, almost, almost died. And he had to rebuild himself up to health. And he lost a lot, lost a lot of the capacity uh, uh, that he had before. And so he had to work his way. And he realized, and he was telling me this, and it's not like every day you can talk to know both sides of the coin of being, you know, uh, an ultra marathoner, uh, a champion ultra marathoner, um, uh, to being having to teach yourself how to walk again, and the appreciation he he had for being able to feel some of these things we talked about, and to and for him it was connecting with the community and finding uh, uh, the motivation in that, and being able just to slowly get himself back to normal again was so powerful, and it and it really told me that sometimes you know one of the relationships we fall into is 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 you know we're 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 forced out of fitness and when you talk to those people who once knew something catched not by their own choice the lessons that you can get from them are are they're really a jolt of perspective and this guy peter peter really told me and 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 he he he, you know and it's a quote i often talk about in my in my talks and and he says you know fitness is 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 not you know about a number it's not about how fast you can go whatever it's about about being human it's about finding your place and being human and that's what he realized through his ordeal and so when you see people and he's a, he's a you know um a bit older fella but you see people who are in their uh 70s 80s and 90s doing things and they seem to be the most happiest i think there's the reason for that <laughs> they're realizing how all of this makes them feel and that is an important part of our humanity is to move our bodies and, uh, you know, you know, and at a certain age, you know, we're not counting <laughs> the personal bests are harder to come by. And once we release that idea from our minds that this is about chasing numbers and personal, personal bests, then the pure joy of movement and the, and also an appreciation of the gift that we have to, have to move in certain ways and the gratitude that sort of shines through and leads the, I think that those lessons are valuable to learn, learn. And if we can learn them early, and I wish I learned when I was 18, 19, we can learn them early in life for, for the rest of it. Absolutely. You know, you go to, uh, I don't know if it's China or Japan, but like where they're doing Tai Chi in the park and it's free and, you know, they're just all slowly <laughs> moving and it's a group activity and anybody can join <laughs> in. You don't have to like sign a registration form and bring in your ID and, uh, get a locker and speak to a, uh, you know, a man, you know, like, there aren't all these steps to fitness. It's just 
you just hop in and you wear whatever you want to wear. You don't have to dress a certain way. And and anybody can partake in this part of the culture, the movement. And you go to other places like in Norway where, like, uh, you know, everybody's riding a, I don't know, not Norway. Maybe it is Norway. But, you know, everybody's riding a bicycle like Italy and, and stuff like that. It's just part yeah. of the culture. And it, But you go to some place, like I live in L.A., and, you know, you're riding a bike and it's, it's like you you need like a, you have to be a millionaire to ride a bike because you need like all that this helmet and you need a uniform <laughs> and uh, the shoe like you have to have an outfit you know to to ride a bike you just yeah. can't have like the little bike with the basket and a bring bring up front um, but but you, you talked about the mental health aspect and 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 it's how dear it is to your heart is that is that stem from your childhood as you as you talked about things from our childhood affecting us? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of projection in that uh, in that commentary for sure, right? I mean, I, I, mean, I talk about relationships, and, and I've had a relationship with depression since uh, my teenage years. I wouldn't have been able to tell you when I was 13, 14 that that was going on, but, you know, uh, you know in retrospect, you can kind of see some of the signs there, and couldn't tell you why I don't, you know, you, you know, all the reasons that, you know, the onset of depression, uh, takes root. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm 43 now. And I think it's safe to say that over 25 years, I've had a relationship with depression and the way I look at it, at least I framed it in my life now is, uh, is, you know, I know, and, and, you know, it's sort of an addiction and, and, um, and, in that aspect of, of, of mental health too. It's like, uh, in, in, um, you know, it's like you're, 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 uh, like take alcoholism, you know, you're never, you're always an alcoholic, whether you're drinking, that's kind of one of the messages out there. And I look, it's like, well, even though right now I am doing things that are, um, super, uh, positive for my mental health. And I'm, I know what they are. I've, I've done the research. I've done my, my own self research. I've put in the work and stuff like that. I've, I've tried, different things and I finally kind of found something I still say it's like I'm still I still live with depression it's just not here right now and I I look at that as like I'm not going to be fully removed from it I'm not going to be fully cured from it I don't want to live with such hubris with such over take gas and do the things that are important to me so i've got this absolute this track record of of depression and it was a big part of you know a, a big motive for me even um exploring psychology in my uh my my early, my early university days and in going into um, i love sports i loved uh you know, I wasn't necessarily going to fitness into, you know, uh, going to the gym necessarily. I go to the gym to play sports uh, at a higher level. So I was into sports. So sports psychology made sense to me. So I worked in, in sports psychology and, and mental training and, and that aspect. And, and, and that, that all started with my early context with these, with my mental health, with this, this early issue with, with my mental health. And for me, sports, it was sports that was my, um, escape, my, uh, um, you know, it was my sanctuary, you know, my friends going out with my friends playing sports. Again, I was from a small town. So sports was a big thing, big deal. So playing baseball, playing hockey in the winter, uh, basketball, all those types of things. I needed that. That was important. I now I didn't realize how much I needed it 
until you get a little older and those things sort of dissolve away. The formal structures of your youth sort of break apart, right? As you, as you graduate high school and you get out, even if you get out of college and then you don't realize how vulnerable you are when those things are taken away. And that's what really hit home for me. That's when some of the hardest parts uh, of, of my, my journey have been when I was like, I gave you an example, when I moved overseas to England, didn't really, didn't know anyone, lived on my own, owned this great, great job, but in a, a country I didn't know a lot about. I mean, you know, I knew enough. I mean, it's not super foreign, but still uh, a lot of social isolation and wow. Then it hit me of what had been going on in the background, the program in the background, because I could hear it loud and clear at that stage. And so my 20s were uh, fraught with uh, these episodes and um, unhealthy behavior. And even though, you know, even though I knew intellectually kind of what was going on, I knew about this, um, you know, about mental health and mental health issues and even specific things to do to improve your mental health, even though I had all that knowledge, uh, still wasn't enough. It's not always about the knowledge to, to do the things. And, you know, I talk about this, we've talked about relationships and attraction. I mean, I talk about attraction a lot. You know, the one thing that, um, you know, depression does to someone is it absolutely kills their ability to self-start. It is a self-starting killer. It will, uh, you know, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to uh, get off the couch, even if you know going for a walk or a run or a ride or going for a swim, whatever it is. You know it's good for you. You just can't bring yourself to do it. And so I really needed something rather profound to kind of pull me out of that. I needed something so attractive, so uh, uh uh, you know, powerful to pull me out of that. And there's two real, two things. I don't really talk about that. One of them in the book a whole lot, but one of them was finding yoga, which is part of my journey, an important part of my journey, but also was, uh, the con the awareness that I needed to be outside more. I mean, I being outside, whether it's walking, running, uh, mountain biking, whatever it is being in some way or shape or form in touch with the outdoors is super important to me. And I wasn't getting enough of it. I was starving myself. And once I had some experiences and I could feel that, I was like, okay, the self-starting became a little easier if I started to choose activities that fit those feelings. And I found that originally through running – when I was in the UK, I started running uh, trails a little bit, uh, entered a few races and whatnot. And over the years, I've just – that's been the mainstay for me is um, – connecting to my consciousness through yoga and then of course almost you know as almost any activity outside but primarily running trails and mountain biking but these are now like i, I at one point i'd be looking like this is really important for my mental health and now i kind of just like i just want to go and do them like eventually it evolves to the point where it's just a part of me and you know if i look at myself at a, uh, on a week-to-week -week basis of like uh, I just, they're a part of, my, I'm, I've made them a part of my week. And, um, and so I know, I know if I think about it intellectually, yeah, these things are good for me, but now it's more organic than that. I found these things that fit and I, and, and they are, they, you know, if I, if I were to go and do CrossFit, you know, I'm not too sure. I don't want to judge CrossFit, but I think I'd, I'd struggle with it. I'd struggle with that. Um, the atmosphere is different. Uh, the culture is different. These things, these things don't resonate with me. I don't know if I would have the same uh, 
um, gumption to get up every day and go to CrossFit gym at 7 a.m. But it doesn't take a lot of effort for me to go up and, you know, run in my local park here for for 30, 45 minutes or whatever. It, that resistance is is a lot less. And so that's kind of t- telling you about my journey. And so the exercise is a super important part of of how I've come to, like I call it, my little depression management plan. And exercise is a huge part of it, right? So, you know, it's a long story short. Yeah, I mean, this goes all the way back to my childhood. To my like, when I, if I look back and I, I can recognize sometimes, like, oh yeah, like there are some signs there that uh, I was an irritable, <laughs> an irritable bratty teenager at time. But not just the, you know, there's some acceptable levels to this. But I was, I was hard to be around, and I isolated myself really quickly. I'd be hiding in my room. That's where I felt the safest. And it became a coping strategy. And um, it's still even to this day, you know, I'm an introverted, you know, by nature, I, I'm an introvert by nature, but I still have to fight the temptation to to self isolate when I feel stressed and I feel uh, maybe a little anxiety about what's happening in my life. I still have to fight that. And that's part of my program that that goes all the way back, basically to, to high school. Yeah, you know, I was just reading uh, some research uh, uh, on suicidality, and it was saying, you know, tied into your idea of like our need to belong and connect, and how that's one of the the social element of exercise. Because what happens to men uh, as we get older, we we tend to lose friends, where women tend to accumulate friends over time, and you know, you get to a certain age where you're, you're down to your one high school buddy. Uh, you know, and, and, and he lives on the other side of the country, you know, if if he even lives in the country anymore. So as we, as we get older, instead, instead of feeling more connected, we feel less connected because of the amount of deaths and funerals and stuff that we, we attend to. So, uh, it's, it's so imperative, right. To connect. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, I mean, and, and isn't it worrisome that we're in a, in a situation now where people are self-isolating? I mean, it's kind of a forced thing, you know, and uh, we we're working on, I don't know how long it is now. I'm losing count of the days. I mean, we are, we are forced to be on our own without some of these outlets. It's a worrisome context uh, when, 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 we, when you think about the facts that you just described of how you know social isolation is such a risk factor and uh, i i am very concerned about what has been going on in you know these communities and people who you know not all self isolation here is isolating it's very social that's not everything and not everyone has a dynamic in their home, and but they benefit from it. So, yeah, Kelly, you, uh, you I, I'm out. wondering what kind of things you cut out for a second. Can can you oh, repeat that? Can you repeat that for a second? Uh, like, yeah, the, I was uh, just saying. Okay, okay, I'll go back to. Yeah, I was just saying that the 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 um, you know, it's it's worrisome when you think about it of the the, the current context that that we're living in. This whole idea that you know we we have to self isolate and. In quarantine and, and restrict our our connections because of you know COVID nineteen and I'm I'm concerned as I'm sure you are with you know what this this forced isolation is actually to a lot of people and I at home here I have I'm very grateful I have a very <clears throat> I have 
still home. I've got a, a five-year-old. I've got two dogs. Uh, you know, there's just, just a lot of action, <laughs> maybe too much. Some, but there's, uh, you know, I, people are more uh, alone than that, and they're feeling alone. And it, it, it's, you know, I just worry about what we're going to see and hear coming out of this about um, how people have coped with this. And, and it's, it's it just goes to show it's like i mean i know you mentioned all these things it's like this it's social isolation is such a huge risk factor and here we are there's a lot of people socially isolated more than normal not by choice and so you know and i i i i just gonna be um timely that uh, a few of my friends you, you talk about how our relationships over time particularly men they kind of they get smaller and shorter and shorter. We get a little more distance. And, and, you know, I've had not, not, it wasn't even my, uh, it wasn't even my idea, but, uh, an old high school friend of mine bringing up high school said, we got to start having these, uh, these, uh, zoo zooms, uh, you know, once a week. So every Saturday, I mean, where are we going on Saturday night these days here in Canada, at least we're not going anywhere. So we, uh, we, uh, hook up, hook up on zoom and there's the four of us and we kind of, kind of talk about stuff. And it's the most we've talked in oh, maybe 10 years on a regular basis. And and there's things we can be doing more of. And there's these great tools available to us. Thank God there's these tools available to us. But um, I'm, you know, it's not lost on me how those little things can break us out of the, us out of the isolation, how impactful they can, can be, especially at a time when you really need it. So uh, because, you know, it's when we're hunkered in here and 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 waiting for things to return to normal. It's a lot of time to be alone with our thoughts and, and, and whatnot. And our thoughts often are not great when we're, we're home alone and, and unhealthy. Yeah, but besides yoga and getting outdoors, are there other ways that you uh, intentionally connect with others, being an introvert? Connecting with others? I mean, I got to say that, like, through fitness, it's, it's the, the main that's the main thing is, is, um, you know, we, we, we have uh, November project, bring up November project. They've moved workouts on, on, um, onto zoom. They, they, they do the zoom workouts now. So they're trying to work with technology to try and keep people connected. So that's a really big, uh, positive thing, but, you know, on, you know honestly, you know, in some aspects being introverted or being inclined to be introverted has, uh, its perks and, and that I have a little more resilience uh, being alone and not needing as much social contact as, as you know, I think your average person. And that's despite everything I, or, uh, 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 despite everything I've just told you uh, of, of how social isolation is impactful. And it's impactful for me. It's just my tolerance for it is, is a little bit better now. Um, but, but when I reach out, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm these days I'm, I'm reaching out to some, some old friends. I'm keeping touch with my family and I'm, I'm certainly keeping touch with the members of my family who are, uh, vulnerable at this point in time and, um, connecting with them. And, but, you know, honestly, over the years, it's fine. You know, when you talk about how routines have formed around your self care and, or however you want to call it, but your self care is that it, it's primarily been through through fitness and it kill you know it's kind of killing two birds with one stone of getting that social connection and the physical i mean the physical and mental ven- benefits of exercise so that's been my primary outlet i don't have, <laughs> I, I play guitar really badly i don't play any band band i don't connect i, I play on my own as my own therapeutic practice i meditate uh, as well a very solo uh, activity 
And of course, I live with uh, my partner, uh, Sarah. She's very, you know, we we have a uh, great, great connection and stuff. And so I'm fortunate to have that and, um, and good relationships with my neighbors too. So I keep those conversations up. That's for sure. But that's kind of the extent of it. And it works. Right. And, and so even if one of those things, uh, existed, um, you know, it's, it's, it's better than kind of nothing. And so I'm, I feel very fortunate that I've discovered what kind of works that way. And it's been tested and clearly been tested in the last, uh, six to eight weeks with these shutdowns. Kelly, we talked about so much in, in this time. Is there is there anything that we haven't talked about from the book or in general that you feel like listeners need to know to 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 motivate <laughs> them to get them off, get them moving, or get them getting them connected with others? You know, that's oh, that's a that's a great question. I mean. Uh, we're at, you know with especially with during this 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 time where we're, we are isolating um it's a great great time I, I i say people it's like well i'm getting kind of bored or i'm feeling you know down and whatever it's a great time to be experimenting it's a great time to uh try some new things and yeah you you, you know you might not have access to gyms you might not have access to certain things and you're restricted to, to going to places but there's things you can try like you're you're there's tools like let's if this if this public health crisis were 20, 30 years ago, ago, be very different. We wouldn't have uh, the library of things that we could tap into on YouTube, like uh, uh, workouts and yoga practices or self, self uh, or, or uh, guided meditations. We have, we have these things available to us. And, and so it uh, can be a good opportunity to try and diversify your portfolio by, by, checking out some new stuff and even though you can't do some of your favorite favorite things even though you can't connect with some of your favorite people or at least can't connect with them the way that you used to uh commit to trying new methods to connect trying some new things and every day um you know coming up with an idea to try something new to give yourself a chance that maybe you find something that's really going to connect with you and you might even keep it once all of this stuff kind of uh lifts all all of these restrictions lift so you know my message would be you know as much as you know it can be really really taxing it can be uh, frustrating and all of those feelings with being alone and having to you know or being more alone than normal and having you know some tough times like there is a you know can be some some opportunity to tap into some to some of these new things and and be ex, be experimental you know and and, and it can be a, a, an important a important discovery during this time and in, and who knows what legs those discoveries will have going going forward kelly dell i i really appreciate you taking this time you know you're up there in ottawa so i, I know it's cold i hope the the conversation kept you warm i thought i hope i hope we we brought you some warmth <laughs> up there um you know, uh, but always ask everybody this, uh, all my guests this, because always imagine that there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Kelly? I say take a walk. Take a good walk. Get, the fr- get some fresh air in your lungs. Lungs. And get your blood moving. That's what I. That's what I would say. 
Kelly Dell, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, listeners, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you going for a walk, for you for you, uh, you getting to the truth of what really motivates you. Fight, you know, really exploring what what is it that you want to feel, and 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 what is it that you want your workouts to feel like? What do you want your life to feel like? And and to write that down and, and or, or record it and. And, and take some time to reflect. I, I know that there's so many things that's going on with your life right now. Uh, and, and you feel like you're being hit from all different angles. But, but take a few moments, even if it's two minutes, to, to sit and reflect on, on your feelings and what you want to feel like, not, not necessarily how you're feeling right now. Uh, and, and if you want help with that, you go to a therapist, you go to counseling. There's a bunch of free services that I'll link to in the show notes. It's in all my show notes, uh, the Suicide Prevention uh, Hotline, International Hotlines, Teen Hotlines. There's chat if you can't talk for whatever reason. There's, there's uh, online therapists. And, and you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Kelly Dell, please plug your books. T- plug all your things. Where can people find you? Where can they get the book? Well, I, I can get the book anywhere online, uh, Amazon. My website is kellydale.com, and I've got a uh, weekly podcast called Happily Ever Active as well, as well, where I talk about the mental side of fitness, particularly as it pertains to mental health. So maybe that can be, that can be a resource for your listeners as well. well. And you can also find me on Instagram at kelly.dell. That's D-O-E-L-L. It's Dell with a silent O. Kelly Dell, thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. Please share and subscribe, and we will talk to you soon. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thanks, Kelly.